Amen. Thank you so much for your wonderful singing today. Let's open our Bibles today to an Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel. If you need to use the Red Bible in the pew, it's on page 199. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the calling of a giant slayer. You know, last week we kind of summed up, finished up the book of Ephesians. And uh, in between series of messages, it's kind of hard to know where to go. If you say, okay, we're going to preach through 1 Timothy, you know where you're going next Sunday. But uh, I thought it'd be good for us the next few Sundays to talk about some certain characters of the Bible. Uh, stories of the Bible that you've heard. Some of you have heard uh, from, from your youth. Other people have never heard it. Today we'd like to talk to you about David, the calling of a giant killer. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel was uh, sad because Saul was losing the kingdom of Israel. He was the first king. And uh, his reign, God was finishing out because Samuel disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. That's the way God worked it in those days. When God uh, brought up the king to rule the country, uh, if he didn't go straight, he took him out oftentimes. And so we're here in the process of the changing of administration. Samuel stopped mourning for Saul. He's losing the kingdom. Let's go on. Let's go on to the next administration. Get your horn. It's full of oil and go to Bethlehem because there's a new king there. And so Samuel, look at verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? Uh, if Saul hear, hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice. Verse number 4 says, so Samuel did what the Lord said. You know, and it's interesting, if you study the life of Samuel in the Bible, you'll find that he always did what the Lord said. He was really different than most of the people I know, I guess all of the people I know, uh, because uh, Samuel in the Bible was such a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He always did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem, and look at this in verse number 4, And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? This is an interesting passage, and I was reading a commentary on this. And the commentator said that, that Samuel was a prophet, he was a priest, he was a judge. And uh, what he did is he had this ministry of going from town to town, rebuking crime and sin. That'd be a hard ministry, wouldn't it? I mean, he would come to town and he'd say, now listen, I heard this is going on in here. This has to stop. And so that's why these people were apprehensive when Samuel showed up. They said, listen, why, have you come here to give us trouble? And of course, he, he put their mind at ease. In verse 5, he said, he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. He said, I'm not on one of my missions to point out a crime 
God sent me on another mission. And he sent me to the home of Jesse. And he sent me to Jesse's house because Jesse has a number of sons. And I'm going to choose one to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse cooperated with Samuel and began to bring out his sons one by one. How about this one? How about that one? Look, look down at verse number 6. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. Eliab was the oldest one. And throughout time, that's the kind of the pecking order. You know, let's, uh, let's take care of this one first. And the second son, let's take care of him next. And the third son, let's take care of him. How about my first son, Eliab? Uh, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. There was something about Eliab that impressed Samuel. Uh, the thought maybe this would be the one. And verse number 7 is one of the, my favorite verses in the Old Testament. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, how true that is, right? You know, in life, you and I, we look at each other and we say, boy, that person really has their act together. And we don't really know. And we look at someone else and we say, boy, I'll tell you what, they don't have their act together. They're not, they're not, they're not this and they're not that. And God says, listen, don't treat people like that. And that's a lesson that we always have to learn. Because man looks on the outward appearance and God looks where? Right on the heart, right? And so this, this we have to always keep before us. And it's interesting that Samuel here is an old man, and God has to remind him of that because we're all prone to be impressed by some other person. We're all prone to say, hey, they got it together. And so Jesse started to bring out his other sons. Verse 8, he brought out Abinadab. Uh, verse 9, he brought out a person named Shammah. And he went through seven of his sons in verse 10, and... Uh, the Bible says here, Samuel said, the Lord has not chose any of these. He said, do you have any more? And he says in verse 11, yeah, there's one left. There's one out in the fields, my youngest son, and he's keeping the sheep. And I'll, I'll bring him in. And so that, he said, that'll be good. And so when he came in, in verse number 13, Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And look at this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. God was anointing this young teenage boy to be the next king of Israel. And he not only was anointing him, but he was empowering him with the Holy Spirit. From that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But look what else happened. That was positive. This is negative. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. God poured out His Spirit on David, and He took His Holy Spirit away from Saul. In addition to that, a distressing spirit from the Lord began to trouble him, so much so that he was depressed and fearful in verse 15. Well, what is the background of this particular passage? Uh, there are, you know, there are always giants that come against nations that must be confronted and conquered for a country to be at peace. But there are also giants in our lives that must 
fall in order for you to have peace in your life and in your home. Uh, There was a change of administration here. Uh, Samuel's sons looked like they were going to be leaders in Israel, but they didn't work out because they didn't follow in the footsteps of their father. Uh, And the nation of Israel began to cry for a king. Some of you know the story. They said, listen, we want to be like the other nations around us. We want to be like them. God had created in Israel what we call a theocracy. And what that means is he was the ruler. He was the king. But uh, Israel wanted a monarchy because the countries around had a king, some visible person on earth that they could call a king. And so they kept pressing. And you know what God said? God said to Samuel, give them what they want. And God does this oftentimes to a nation. Just give them what they want. And so they got Saul. And Saul... He did his own thing. He didn't listen to God. He broke the rules. He bent the rules. Uh, He became very proud. And God says, listen, your ministry is finished. And uh, the bottom line of Saul's ministry is found in 1 Samuel 15.35. The Bible says, the Lord was sorry that he made Saul king of Israel. God said, yeah, Saul can be the king and after his administration was done, he says, you know, I'm really sorry about that. You know, in every generation, God calls giant killers. He really does. Because every generation needs some people who can take out some giants. Genesis 7.1 says this. Let's, and we're talking about generations. Let's read it together. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants to look down in this generation and say, listen, those people are righteous. And what that simply means is they're not perfect, but they're right with me. They've been made right with me through faith. God wants a generation of people who are right with him. And uh, he didn't have much to choose from in Noah's day, remember? Just a handful. He said, you're right with me. Get on the ark. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 is another verse. Let's read this together. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Boy, this is interesting. And this is talking about Joshua's generation. Remember? Joshua led the people to follow the Lord, but after his generation was over, the next one didn't. They failed to pass it down. Psalm 71, 18 is another one. Let's read this together. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. David said... Lord, I'm getting old. Don't forsake me. Uh, Keep me going because I want to declare your strength to the generation to come. That's good. Uh, This is our mission as a church. Our mission as a church is just not for us to come together and be satisfied with the people that God has given us in the church. Uh, We are to care about the generation to come after us. That's our mission. 
Our mission is to reach down and say, hey, listen, it's the next generation down that I'm concerned about. I'm growing in the grace of God in this generation, but what about them? David said, listen, I, even though I'm an old man, I want to I fulfill my obligation and pass it down to that generation. So, uh, so there he goes. He's going to Bethlehem to find the next generation. And Jesse pulls out the parade of sons. He takes them through it all. And here's David. They found this young boy, and we believe he was between 16 and 18 years old. Uh, God can really use a young person. I can't tell you how many people have come to our church through the years who have said, you know, I really regret a lot in my life because I never dedicated my life to God when I was young. And I have so many mistakes and so many disappointments and so many things that I wish that I could have done differently, but I never did it. I'll tell you what, it pays to serve Christ when you're young. And so here we find David. He's just a kid. I mean, he's just the, the youngest of the, of the lot. He was a worker, though. He was out in the field keeping watch over his flock by night. Does that remind you of anybody you know? Um, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the Spirit left Saul, and he was possessed with another spirit. Uh, that gives us a good opportunity this morning to say something about the Spirit of God today. God doesn't do that today. God doesn't give you His Holy Spirit, and then when you mess up, He takes His Spirit away from you. He doesn't do that. When He gives you the Holy Spirit, you are in the family of God, and you are sealed by the Lord until the day of redemption. And God's stamp of ownership in your life is the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And God's guarantee that your future is going to be a whole lot better than you is the guarantee of the Spirit that God has given you. And so there's a number of verses here uh, I want to run you through quickly. Romans 8, 9. Let's look at that. Let's read it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You see the capital there, capital S, Spirit of Christ? That's the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a part of the family of God. If you're here in the auditorium this morning and you're saying, listen, I'm empty on the inside. I don't have a God in my life. You're not a part of the family of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your life. He's God's mark of ownership. Uh, Jesus said this in John 14, 16. Let's read this together. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now, the word helper there is the Holy Spirit. And he says, when I pray to the Father, and I am resurrected, I'm going to send down the Holy Spirit, and he's going to He's not going to be with you temporarily or sporadically. He's going to be with you forever. God's forever gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And no matter how, where you go, and no matter what you have to go through in this life, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Let's say that word, forever. It's a wonderful thing. You can lose everything that you've worked to gain, but you can never lose the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, according to Jesus. Let's look at John 14, 17. He goes on. Let's read this. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is Jesus here. He says the Holy Spirit is going to be inside of you. That's why in this life we have conflict within. We go out in the world and we hear all the voices of the world. And we have the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us saying, listen, you've got to listen to me. Remember? Uh, look at uh, an another verse, 1 Corinthians six 19. Let's read that together. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Boy, this is good right here. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, He sends the Holy Spirit to live in your heart, inside your person. And uh, He says, listen, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. But, you know, we have a problem sometimes because we want to do our own thing, don't we? How many people here recently have wanted to do your own thing? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, all of us, right? It wasn't unanimous, but we'll let you off. We all want to do our own thing. And you know that? We, we go out there and we want to do our own thing. You know what? And then what happens in our life? The Holy Spirit says, you are not your own. Listen, I'm supposed to be in charge. And you say, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Uh, we're not our own. The Holy Spirit won't leave us. Aren't you glad of that? Man, I'll tell you, when I was a teenager, I kind of went and did my own thing for a while. And I'd come home at night, and I'd feel bad about the places that I went. And I would be convicted by the Holy Spirit. He never left me alone. The Holy Spirit loves you too much to let you live your life the way you want to. He does. And that's why he agitates you. From time to time. And that's a good thing. It really is. Now, David was a servant. Uh, this evil spirit that came upon Saul made him depressed and fearful. And somebody said, listen, I know what you need. You need some good music. That's what you need. And if you get some good music, this distressing spirit from God is going to uh, go away. And you're going to get well. And they said, listen, we need to find somebody who can play a harp. Now, you would never think that a shepherd guy, a real tough and rough guy keeping sheep, could be so refined as to be able to play the harp. But they said, listen, we know this kid. He's a harpist. Is that the way to say it? Harpist. And uh, we know if, you, if he'll come that uh, you'll like what he has to play for you. And uh, it will help you. And that it did. He was taken. Now, this is so interesting to me. Here he was. He was anointed the king of Israel, just a teenage kid. And now he came into the, uh, the palace of Saul, who is the standing king. And uh, he starts to play his harp. And whenever he played his harp, this Saul felt better. Uh, he became well. And so he needed them there uh, quite a while, doing his thing, and... And so he was a servant. Uh, you know, a, a good king needs to be a good servant. If a person wants to be a king, probably God doesn't want that person to be a king. But if a person is a servant, probably God will make that servant a king. 
And so that's what happens with David here. David is a servant. And he, in, in addition to playing his harp for the king, he also still continued to do his work as a shepherd. I don't know whether you would say he was bivocational or not. But he was just doing what God wanted him to do at the time. And that's what God wants all of us to do. God just wants all of us to do what he calls us to do at the time, any given moment. Now, I know some of us have bigger visions of what we think God wants us to do, but don't worry about that. Do not worry about that. God will guide you into his vision for your life if you do what he wants you to do right now. If he sees you faithful in doing what, you, what he wants you to do right now, he may just leave you there. That'll be fine. Won't it be fine to do the will of God with your life? Can I have an amen? Uh, that's, that's always been my passion. I just want to do the will of God with my life. And so, and so he was just doing what he was supposed to be doing at the time. But in the midst of it all, there are war clouds on the horizon. Because this story, as nice as it's been so far, uh, gets really tougher as we move on. There are war clouds on the horizon. You know, I think war is part of the human condition. We're never going to get away from war. Somebody is always going to be at war with someone else in our world. The quest for power and conquest never goes away. And the group of people that was at war here with Israel was a group of people called the Philistines. Now, if you do a little study in your Bible, the Philistines, you'll find that they ruled a, a piece of geography from Joppa, which is kind of, uh, was kind of northwest of Jerusalem on the coast, from Joppa all the way down to Gaza. Have you heard that word recently? Gaza. Uh, and uh, it was 50 miles long, 15 miles wide. And these people had a monopoly, the Bible says, on iron. They knew how to make iron. And so, therefore, they were real strong in weaponry. And they were a fierce, warlike people. And uh, they stole the ark of God from Israel on one occasion. Uh, they, uh, on other occasions, they would rule over Israel. And so they were always there giving the nation of Israel a problem. And so as you move through the story... Uh, we come finally to the Philistines and Israel ready to fight another war. There is always, by the way, war in Israel. And, uh, and so somebody came up with, a, with a, a proposal. The Philistines had this real big warrior. His name was what? Goliath. And when you read about him in the Bible, he is a scary person. I wrote in my Bible, and I think I'm right, that he was nine foot nine inches tall. He could have played on any NBA team, right? Uh, he was so big and so powerful, and he was completely clothed with uh, armament. And he mocked the nation of Israel. And he said, listen, you just send somebody out against me, and we won't have to all go to war. How about just two of us, just me and... You're representative. Well, nobody, they, they didn't get any volunteers from Israel. 
And he just kept taunting them. And so the king decided, Saul, he says, listen, I think our people need some inspiration to, to fight him. And so I'm going, to give, uh, I'm going to give to the person that takes out Goliath, my daughter. Now, that would have been good inspiration if somebody needed a wife. You know, he could have married right into the king's household there, moved into the palace. Uh, and he said, if that's not enough, I'm going to give that person to be exempt from paying taxes. And everybody said, what? Amen. <laughs> now, that should have gotten a lot of, that should have gotten a lot of people. <laughs> Just think of that. Think of all that money. He says, listen, you won't even have to pay any taxes. And so here comes little David up from his shepherding into the middle of this situation. He sees Goliath taunting, mocking the people of God. And so his brother said to him, listen, uh, you just want to be a spectator. That's in chapter 17, uh, verse number 28. Uh, you've just come to see the battle. You just want to be a spectator, but... You know, David never wanted to be a spectator. He always wanted to be a participant. And then he said, you're just a young person. Verse 33, look at this. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistines uh, to fight with him, for you are a young person, and he's a man. War is a man's business. You're just a kid. And so they're putting him down. They're saying, listen, you can't do this. And in the midst of this whole conversation, David, I think, kind of humbly said, listen, let me tell you a few things I've learned out there keeping sheep. Uh, I would have to protect these sheep, and lions and bears would come against them, and I would kill them. And I could see these people saying, well, let's see, I think you're tougher than you look. I just thought you'd like to play the harp. You mean you're a real warrior? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, when the lions and bears came, I just, I just took them out. Well, they said, we're going we're gonna to give you a chance then. And so what they did, you know the story, they put all this armor on him. He couldn't even move. And so if you go out there against Goliath, you have to have all this armament on. And he said, they put it on him and he said, listen, I can't move in this stuff. This is not going to work. Take this off of me. And in verse 39, he said, I can't even walk with this stuff on. So David took it off. And then look what happens here. Verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. Five smooth stones. Do you know why he chose five? Listen. I figured it out. Goliath had four sons. And he said, okay, here's one for Goliath and one for each one of his sons. Because I know if I take the dad down, the sons are coming after me. So he has five stones in his little pouch. And, uh, and then he has a speech for Goliath. Look at this, verse 45, 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Wow. 
You know what he did? He put God on the spot. He did. He said, God, you and I are in this thing together. Remember, we're going out here. I'm afraid, but I put you on the spot. And so you got to bail me out. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. And then look what else he said in verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver unto you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head off your shoulders. And the poor Goliath, I guess he thought, this kid is really not feeling well. Can you imagine? Here's Goliath. He's looking like this. Here's David. I'm going to take your head off. You are? Well, that'll be interesting. Uh, so David is like... He's just really coming at Goliath. And he says in the last part of verse number 46 that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Boy, I'll tell you what. I think God stood up when he said that. Because, you know, in the final analysis, that's what God wants to be said of him because of our life. That there really is a God in Israel. That there really is a true God. And so, uh, and so he goes to battle. And in verse number 48, uh, this is good, don't miss this. So it was, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. He didn't say, I, just, I think I'll just stand here for a while. And maybe, he'll, maybe I've scared him. <laughs> maybe he'll leave. Maybe he'll change his mind. I'll just stay here. You know, I, what I said was pretty big, and maybe he'll be afraid of God if he's not afraid of me. But he didn't do that. He started to run toward Goliath, and old Goliath probably thought, I've never seen anybody this crazy. Because everybody I know runs away from me, not to me. And so he reached down, and he put that little stone, and Goliath, if he had a... If he had something over his head, he might have flipped it up. And David said, oh, right there, that's the spot. And he did his thing. And he was good at it. And he shot that stone. And that big giant fell down, crash, with all of his armor on. Well, the reputation of God was at stake. And do you know what I, I the thing I really like about... Um, about it all, is he said that the battle was the Lord's. And, you know, that's something that all of us need to remember in our church. You know, so many times we take the battle of the Lord personally and we think it's, it's my battle, I have to win the battle. The battle belongs to God. We are just His foot soldiers, that's all. God says, if you go out there, I'll be with you always. And if you go out there in the name of the Lord... You can win. The name of the Lord. Let's say that. The name of the Lord. One more time. The name of the Lord. Now, a lot of people use that as a little magic chant. Every time they want something, they say, in the name of the Lord. I don't want you to use it like that, but keep it in your pocket, okay? Because on special occasions, you can bring it out. And you can say, in the name of the Lord. And for the reputation of God, I'm going to come against Goliath. I can't do it. I'm fearful, but God is great. And so that puts all the burden on God in the name of the Lord. Now, Goliath represents our biggest enemy. What is your Goliath in your life that's coming against you? 
mocking you, taunting you, making you look bad in the lives of other people. Maybe it's anger or unforgiving spirit. Maybe it's a habit that keeps controlling your life. Well, uh, Goliaths, we all have our Goliaths in life. And a lot of times the only way that we can win is in the name of the Lord. Because you know what happens a lot of times? We have big things in our life. We can't whip them. They mock us. They make fun of us. They make us look bad in the lives of other people. And we just stand there so helplessly because we're afraid really to confront the issue. Because we've tried before. We've rolled up our sleeves and we've failed so many times. I just have to believe that you can win in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Uh, because we're asking God to intervene. We're, we're expressing our dependence upon God. And so he ran toward Goliath. And my message to you this morning in the church is this. Stop running from the Goliath of your life. Because you'll be running all your life. You'll be hiding from them. You'll be afraid. Turn and run to them in the name of the Lord and take them on in the power of God. I'll tell you, the reason why I say this is because there's a whole lot at stake. You know, the whole deal here was the fact if Goliath won, all these people over here, Israelites, would serve the Philistines. And if David won, the Philistines would serve the Israelites. Now, in your life, if you lose, the people who are behind you will become slaves to the Goliaths that you can't face. There's a lot at stake. Because every single person in this church has a circle of influence over which God has made you a shepherd. And if that, your circle of influence sees you running from Goliath, do you think that they can ever whip their Goliath? Not on your life. But if your circle of influence sees you stand up against Goliath and say, listen, I took on the Goliath of my anger in the name of the Lord, and I'm a new man. I took on the Goliath of my unforgiving spirit and my bad attitude, and I'm a new man. I told you before about one man in our church. He always prayed for his daughter. He said, pray for my daughter. She needs to change. Please pray for my daughter. She needs to change. He came to church one prayer meeting night, and he said, God told me, I need to change. I need to change. See, he had Goliath, and he was trying to conquer her Goliath. He hadn't conquered his. Let's go against the Goliaths of our life in the name of the Lord. One more time, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder what it is in your life that is coming against you, the Goliaths of your life. And how long have you been running? How many times have they mocked you and taunted you, embarrassed you? You're so fearful of them. 
Listen, don't run anymore, please. Please don't run. You might say, I've tried every angle. Well, every angle does not work. There is only one thing that works, and that's your humility. To come to your Goliath and look your Goliath straight in the face and say, in the name of the Lord, I'm taking you on, and you're falling in my life. I'm going to tramp right over you. A habit, a relationship, a situation in your life, you know it's not right, admit it. It's your Goliath. And give it to God. I'll tell you what, we could see some great, great victories in our church if we could take on our issues in God's power. And then the people in our circle of influence will see the change in our life and they will begin to take on the Goliaths of their life too. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for, for your blessing. We thank you so much for these spiritual lessons that we can draw from the Bible and these stories that are, that are right here in the Word for our edification. I pray today that you will just bring to all of our minds the things in our life that have put us to flight, the things that we're afraid to deal with, Lord, and help us run and confront those things in your power, in your name, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. Let's sing to the Lord. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray about...